Welcome to Living Catholic, the weekly podcast of the Diocese of Birmingham. I'm Dr. David Anders, Director of the Department of Education and Lifelong Formation. I'm joined today by Brian Lee. Brian is the National Director of Teams for St. Paul Street Evangelization. Brian was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. He earned a degree in business management before he served as a focus missionary on the campus of Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. After two years with Focus, he spent three years in the seminary where he learned the art of prayer and discernment, as well as studying philosophy and theology. Before coming on with St. Paul, Brian served as the director of mission and discipleship at a major parish in downtown Indianapolis. He's excited to share his formation and further the mission of new evangelization for St. Paul's street evangelization. He currently resides here in the Diocese of Birmingham. Brian, welcome to Living Catholic. Oh, thanks for having me. So, uh, as you know, our bishop, Bishop Reka, has called for a year of the parish in the Eucharist. And a major focus of this year is on encouraging people to come back to the parish, back to the Eucharist. Uh, As somebody on the front lines of Catholic evangelism, that's basically what you do every day, right? Encourage people to come to Christ in the Eucharist and at the Catholic parish. Amen. Yeah, I mean, especially people talk to me about that all the time, especially when my work with St. Paul Street Evangelization is like, hey, you're going out there to the streets. Like, how is it that you're actually getting people into the parish? You know, what does that look like practically? And that's always our hope. Uh, We had a tagline saying that we want to be a bridge from the street to the parish, but we have to start somewhere. And sometimes it doesn't start saying, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus and to start receiving the Eucharist as as soon as possible, Uh, you know, by going to confession if they're been away and they're Catholic or getting the RCA if they're not Catholic yet. I think uh, there's something that happens before that step, and it's just getting to know them, where they are in their own faith life. It's about listening and loving them where they're at, and then inviting them to that next step, you know, wherever that individual may be. So that's what I love about our ministry, is we're so personable. And there's so many stories that come when you're just willing to get out and to be able to speak with people about where they're at in their faith. I mean, I could just I, how much time do we have? I could probably go 45 minutes on just well, that, amazing you know, stories that come when Catholics are willing to get out there start, and some that come back to the why parish. Why don't we start with, yeah. what is St. Paul Street Evangelization? That's a good what question. What is this ministry that you're that involved is, Yeah, in? let's bring it back. Let's rain, I'm going to rein it in. Yeah. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go back to St. Paul Street Evangelization. So it's a, it's a Catholic apostolate that started about 11 years ago. Uh, by our founder, Steve Dawson. And so Steve was actually, he was in seminary, not with a diocesan uh, seminary, he was in with the Franciscans uh, for a year, and he discerned out, uh, got married and moved to Portland to receive his master's, actually going to be in finance. But he still knew that he had a call as a Catholic to do the work of evangelization. And specifically, he was like, I feel called to go to the street. He saw Maximilian Colby he, and Mother Teresa, he remembered they were handing out miraculous medals all the time. And he thought, you know, what, what if I gather some great pamphlets, and he got pamphlets from Catholic parishes that, you know, it was kind of, uh, uh, it, it, it wasn't as clean as it is that an organization makes it today, but he just, he just scrapped together some Catholic materials, and he went to downtown Portland, and if everybody knows Portland, um, or if you don't know Portland, their tagline is, keep Portland weird, so it's not like this prime spot where you would think Catholic evangelization is going to hit, but uh, one of the first things that happened is when he went to the he went to a farmer's farm in Portland and laid out a blanket, uh, a man ended up coming back to the confession because Steve was there. And Steve just posted about it on Facebook. 
And after Steve posted about this man who was Catholic, who uh, had been away from the church for 26 years, who went back to the confession that night because Steve was there, they said, what in the world did you do? Like, how did you do that? And how can I start doing that in my city? So Steve organically just started happening. So we call ourselves a grassroots movement because Steve did not go out uh, that day to start a Catholic apostolate. He had no idea this, that this was the Lord's dream from him. But uh, just uh, years of praying and asking the Lord, it, it, this apostolate began to develop. And now we have hundreds of teams where we help Catholics do just what Steve did there in Portland to be able to hit the streets and be able to speak with people in a way that's inviting to hear where they're at in their faith and to get them back into right relationship with Christ, whatever that next step for them will be. You know, while you were talking, a story came to me uh, a couple of years ago. My wife saw a film about a college professor who found out that none of her students uh, knew, is 18-year-olds, knew how to ask a member of the opposite sex out on a date, right? <laughs> because that stopped being a part of our culture. We're so disconnected from one another, yes. except electronically, that just human interaction has become a foreign thing. And she thought, I need to teach boys and girls how to ask one another out. That's funny. And they actually made a movie about her attempt to teach them would you go out to a movie with me? Could we go have dinner? Like a very <laughs> human interaction. And that, that sort of sounds like the story you're telling about Steve, that he just literally went out into a public space and started meeting people, mm -hmm. and no artificiality, no great techniques, just the human willingness to step out there. And it was so foreign that the people around him said, hey, teach us how to be human beings yes. too. You know? <laughs> That's fascinating. It's true, and I think... Uh, a lot of times when people get introduced to our apostle, I immediately have to dispel because the name street evangelization is what we do, but it's not when you initially think of street evangelization, you think of people who are on the streets yelling at people with megaphones. And that's not what Steve was doing at the market. And that's not our approach. Our approach is actually, um, I alluded to this before. It's the giveaway medals or rosaries as a way to start a conversation. And then by starting that conversation, we then have a chance to be able to hear where that person's at in their faith life and then walk with them in terms of what that next step would be. So so for you, step one would literally be pl place yourself in a public scenario and simply give away rosaries, medals, or Catholic literature. Yeah, it's amazing how... Um, dynamic and the way I've seen this apostolate grow is there's no one right place. We've had people do that soup kitchens, farmers markets, downtown areas, outside Walmarts, uh, outside baseball games. It's There's no like one right place, but yeah, wherever there's people who are going to be gathered or, you know, a high foot traffic area, that's a public space and we have a right to be there. Uh, that's Go ahead and just plant yourself there and begin willing to initiate some conversation. Wow. So, uh, you know, I know that you're you're involved in training teams. Mm -hmm. Do you still do direct evangelism like that yourself? Yeah, you know, I was just talking to you before we started this about how I just moved here. So I'm excited to begin thinking about how I can get more involved here. Uh, what I've done here at UAB is actually led a training with some focused missionaries and students. And uh, this past school year, even with COVID, we went to out on campus and did some evangelization. And it was amazing uh, just speaking with students who would probably uh, not get in contact with the Catholic Center there, would never even consider going to St. Stephen's, which is the, the parish 
um, there at UAB, uh, but because they met us and we get them connected, hey, do you know there's a dinner there on Thursday nights? You know, or if there, are, I, I actually spoke with a man. He was a young man who actually was a Catholic. He said, I know Stevens. I actually haven't gone there in a while. I need to go back to confession. That really did happen. I said, yeah, you, like let's get you connected with Father. He he knows that we're out here and he wants to you know get connected with you. And I, he knew he was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back. So so how much of your training, if I can put that in quotes, sure. is simply going out with teams of people and letting them watch you do just that. Yes. I wish I, I wish that could be... Uh, I, I think about this all the time in terms of how uh, on the national level, because I work with so many people around the country in, in New York and California, and uh, I'm about to go to Kansas um, in September. So uh, it's like I, I wish I could just be there and take people out, but I can't always accompany people in that way, especially as teams get started. So I just have to talk them through what it's going to be like on the phone and just pray with them and just know that God's going to be with them. They, they really can't mess this up. The only way they'll mess this up is by like not going out. If they feel called to go out, you know, it, not, it's okay to make mistakes. We, we're not going to be perfect. You're not every conversation is going to be perfect. We actually learn and grow as evangelists by doing the work of evangelization. So I, I tell team leaders that don't feel like you have to have all your ducks in a row, all these right answers before you go out. Just be willing to put yourself out there and to give yourself grace as you have these conversations. And you're going to be surprised by yourself, like how many people are really open to speaking with you? Because so many people have this idea that if I go out there, everyone's going to reject me. And I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. You might, you, people might say no thank you if you offer them a rosary and miraculous medal as they walk by, or if you ask if, you, if they need prayer for anything. That's just the nature. You don't know what's happening in their life. Maybe they really have somewhere to go and they're in a hurry, but there's going to be people who stop. And you're like, I, I love speaking with team leaders after their first outing, even though I'm not there with them. And they tell me how exciting it was for them to go out. And this person just prayed. They know God put them in there for that particular person that day. So it's amazing uh, to see how this ministry just really empowers Catholics to not be afraid to go out there. And so I can't be there with all of them. So I do coach people over the phone, but I, I think I just try to give them enough to have confidence to give it that first go if I can't be there with them. What, 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 uh, sort of sp- specific action items do you give people when you train them to go out in evangelism? I mean, is there kind of a, a bullet list of things you tell them to do or to know? Yeah. Well, uh, our our method is listen, befriend, proclaim, invite. And so... Uh, Let me even, say that again. Listen, befriend, befriend, proclaim, invite. Correct. Okay. So correct. You know, you and then we also... Enumerate those for me? Or correct. Do? And then pray is there, but it can... We've, we've even talked about it as a apostle. It doesn't just like fit neatly in terms of like this structure. And so even though uh, we have this idea that we want to first train uh, evangelists when they're going out and doing street evangelization to listen. So how is it that you first listen to the Holy Spirit, first pray to God that he actually be with you and guide you in these conversations, but then listen to the person in front of you, whoever God brings by you that day that you're, of course, we want to be able to share the gospel. We want to share the message of Jesus with them. We want to bring them back to Christ in the church, but we can't do that until we first know where they're at. So we start uh, by actually breaking the ice, giving a miraculous medal, but we, we say, you know, have you heard of the rosary before? And they're like, oh, yeah, I heard the rosary. Oh, are you Catholic? Like, do you, did you grow up Catholic? And no, my friend was Catholic. And so you can start thinking about how is it that you ask good questions uh, to, in a non-obtrusive way, just hear where people are at in their life of faith, specifically with the Catholic Church. So that's Normally, that's what we would do is give them a rosary, ask if they had heard of it, have they ever prayed it before we give them a pamphlet and how to pray it. And uh, so that way they if they can take it and actually begin praying it if they had never heard of it before, they want to start praying it again um, at a very minimum. But then we use that time to be able to say, you know, are you going to church now? 
And it's not an intrusive question. Like, are you going to church? Especially, I, I remember speaking with Alex, uh, who works here at the diocese, when I first met him for lunch. It's like, that's pretty common here in the South. <laughs> you know, are you go- where do you go to church? You know, are you going to church? So that's what we do. It's like, are you going to church? Where do you go to church? And so we get to hear where they're at in their faith and then ask them, have you ever considered the Catholic Church? Uh, and so and you're just asking questions so that way you can listen. So I know I'm doing a lot of talking right now, but in the midst of a conversation, you ask a question, you pause, and you let them give an answer. And sometimes people are ready to just really open up in a beautiful way, like just their entire faith life with God. And sometimes you kind of have to navigate it um, more just by asking more questions, just seeing, you know, wherever God leads you. But you want to befriend them. So, yeah, after you listen to them, you try to find common ground. Like, oh, my gosh, yes, I grew up Catholic, too. And, you know, this is this was my experience growing up. Or, you know, so you, when you, after they share with you where they're at in their faith life, you befriend them by trying to find some common ground with them, whatever that may be. But even if it's just an understanding, even if it's not from a personal experience, you can say that I totally understand, you know, your circumstances there. So uh, so that way they know that you're you're on their side. You're not looking to just challenge them right off the way. You're looking because they, they know you're coming from a place of understanding. And then you have a chance to proclaim. I, uh, and I think this is sometimes where uh, evangelists can be challenged because you have already built this relationship up and sometimes the kerygma is going to fit right in and sometimes it, it doesn't always going to, not every conversation leads to the, the kerygma, but uh, I, when you speak with people and it's obvious that, um, you know, they, they really, it sounds like they just really want to know God more and they want to know who Jesus is and it's surprising how many people don't actually understand, they understand that maybe they've heard of morals that our faith teach, but they don't fully understand what our faith gives us, which is identity in God and not identity in trying to build it up ourselves, especially when I think speak to people on the street who are trying to do so much to, to uh, especially with college students, if I'm evangelized on a college campus like UAB, and they're trying to define themselves and their major and their profession, and to give them, to allow Jesus to set them free from, you know, not putting their identity in anything else other than him. And So, so you, you used the word kerygma a minute uh-huh. ago. Right? Sure. And, of course, that's a word that the Pope likes to use. Yeah. And it's from the Gospels. Mm-hmm. It's from the epistles. Uh, and and I have a concept of what's contained in the kerygma. But this is central to what you're communicating when you proclaim. So how do you articulate the kerygma? That's a great question. And it actually looks a little different First depending of all, on the conversation. can you tell people who are listening what does the word kerygma mean? Yeah, well, I would say it's our kernel. It, was, it, it comes from a the root word of like the kernel, like the very kernel of our faith. Like this is what everything else is built upon. Is that right? Is that, you know, what you're saying that, is that what you're looking for? I think it means proclamation, right? Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, but, but how do you articulate the content of that? What is the, what is that root thing that you're communicating about God in Christ yeah. to the person you meet on the street? Well, you mentioned, um, uh, so there is the, the kerygma, uh, where you can say, and, this is not the way I would directly always proclaim it on the street, but just to give us a, a foundation for where we are, that God created us for love. Like we were made to be in communion with God. And then sin, which is just a turning away from God. Adam and Eve, you know, it says they took of the fruit of the garden. Uh, that could be directly they took of the fruit, but they did, they did something to show that they intentionally, you know, broke that relationship with God. They chose something other than him. They wanted to be, they didn't want to be obedient uh, and to allow God to be their father. And so separating that relationship, I mean, if you think about it, that God, who is the source of life itself, if you separate him from God, it's, it leads to death. So 
they essentially what happened is they died, um, but they didn't, and it said that they would die, but they didn't die a physical death. They died a spiritual death. And so what did we need? Uh, how is it that we saved? How is it that we come back to God? Well, God gave his plan right in Genesis and he fulfilled it in Jesus Christ, that he sent his only son to be the reparation for our sins so that actually in our bodies, like Jesus took on what was due to us when we separated ourselves from God, which was death. And now we can be united to Christ in his death to be reconciled back to God. I mean, that essentially is, if you were going to say the kerygma, what it, what it is, but I don't always say it like that on the street. Right. I was going to ask, I mean, do you, you, you surely you don't, you start, start with creation, fall, you know, redemption, return. I doubt you give the whole story all in one fell swoop mm-hmm. like that, do you? Right. So, you know what? St. Irenaeus has the most beautiful summary of what you just said. Mm-hmm. He says, what we lost in Adam, we regain in Christ, yeah. namely to be in the likeness and image of God. Mm-hmm. Amen. I mean, and, and I, I obviously even at Easter, we proclaim something even greater. I mean, to be able to now, uh, to, to become, to, for God to allow to be moved in us, you know, to, for us to become God uh, is something that Adam and Eve had, you know, didn't even share. They shared in participation in it, but now we allow so Christ to live in us. Obviously, obviously, you're very excited about the organization. You're excited about the work you do. It sounds like you 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 continue to see really positive fruit from this exercise, mm. right? Amen. I mean, are you? I mean, I take that that's true, right? I mean, you're you've told a few anecdotes of people that have come back to confession or come back mm-hmm. to mass, uh, but uh, but you do see measurable fruit, measurable results of this, correct? Yeah, that absolutely. I, and it's just a matter of getting more people out there because on, this is not a ministry, especially when you're on the street, that's going to reach millions, you know, right. right off the bat. So you have to be ready and prepared that I, what I tell team leaders is you're going to be out there and you're going to know that one person who you're there for today. Okay. And so, yeah, right. And right. It's, it's just going to be very obvious and that you can walk with them. Uh, and so, I mean, I have stories, and I can go into stories of people coming into RCA. I mean, one of my favorite stories is we had a, a seminarian who was at Mount St. Mary's when I was there. He was going to Gettysburg, which is nearby in Pennsylvania, and he just set up a table there in downtown Gettysburg. And there's a woman who got out of her car, and without him saying a word, she said, "That's it. Like I'm coming back to church." <laughs> and she was, he was like, "What?" And she's like, "Yes. Like this is the sign I needed. Like I'm coming back." And then she went into a restaurant, and then when she came out, she ended up buying all the seminarians who were at that table gift cards, just saying how thankful she was for them being oh, invited wonderful. to God. And like, that's they didn't wonderful. say a word. So that's the reason I love sharing that story, even with team leaders, is like, you're not going to do anything. Like, okay, we can train you how to listen. You can, you know, practice the kerygma or to at least have an understanding of it. But at the end of the day, you have to understand that like God's, God wants to move these people's hearts who's coming to you first. And he's, he's probably already working in ways that you don't even realize. You know, in my own, in my own uh, path to the Catholic faith, I once worked uh, in a Protestant school. And uh, as part of our admission procedure, potential parents had to fill out a survey that would t- ask them about their, their faith life. And, um, and there was a question on the survey um, if God asked you why he should let you into heaven, what would you say? And it was the, the motive of it was a very Protestant motivation. Like they were trying to, they were, they were looking for a litmus test to sort of test for what is the content of this person's faith, because they had pretty particular ideas about what they wanted people to believe. Uh, and I was going through the applications one day, and I, I got one from a Catholic family. 
And I, I, I thought, oh, well, you know, Catholic's never going to answer this the way the administration of the school wants them to. But I read the Catholic family's answer to the question, if God said, why should I let you in, what would you say? And I thought, that is the best answer I have ever heard to this question. They said simply, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm-hmm. And I thought, who could, who could find fault with that? And then I met the family, and they introduced themselves as Catholics. Of course, they go to a, a parish, local parish here in Birmingham. And, uh, I mean, they did not, they just came because they were interested in enrolling their child in the school. They didn't wow. come because they wanted to evangelize one of the employees, yeah. you know. But their presence coming to me that day uh, actually was a kind of answer to my own prayer because I was trying to discern my own path with respect to the Catholic faith. And it, was, it was, wasn't the only thing, but it was one of many steps that brought me to the faith. And I really wow. saw their, like, their willingness to come, to, to make it. They ended up not going to the school, make application, and then bear witness to their faith and talk to me about it because I asked them really helped me. It motivated me to dig deeper and to consider more, and ultimately I became a Catholic, you know, mm-hmm. just because they were willing to be truthful about who they were. Oh, my goodness. You know? Well, so I think it's you amazing me think that you about share that story because this morning I literally got an email from somebody in Ireland who asked me the exact same question verbatim. He oh, said, wow. I need, he was like, this is the answer that I want to know. Like, if you, when you died and you go to heaven and God asks why I should let you in, what are you going to say? Like, that's what he wants me to respond to him. Oh, how about, how about, now, Lord, have I'm mercy gonna, Now I haven't responded, I actually haven't responded to him yet, so I had to come <laughs> here. So that will be my response, and we'll see what he says. Okay, okay. So now I want to back up. Uh, when people ask you, so what do you do for a living? Uh-huh. <laughs> and you, yeah. you give them this, all right? It's unusual to say the least. Very it's unusual much. to say the least. So, how, what's your story? How did you get into this work? Oh, that's a that's a great story, or that's a great question. Uh, so, I had you. Uh, I know you read a little bit of, of the biography at the beginning. Uh, so that that university that you're at was a mouthful, right? Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ooey Pooey is uh, an easier way to say it. Ooey Pooey, I like pooey. that. Yeah, I we, like so that. we can just go by that acronym now. Uh, it's, it's wonderful because there's actually, when I became a missionary, I found out that I was going there. Uh, I was surprised because I'm from... We're talking uh, about a focused missionary. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, just a a small backstory to how I got involved with St. Paul Street Evangelization is I graduated, um, from Georgia College and State University outside of Atlanta, uh, with my degree in business and then ended up, uh, very, uh, becoming a focused missionary just because that's where God led me. There's a whole story on how that happened, but... When I found out I was going to that campus, I'm like, ooey, pooey, what's this? It was the most wonderful two years ever, and uh, it led me to be open to even being a priest, so I went to seminary for three years. And when I had this turned out, um, that priest uh, invited me back. He said, Brian, it, because that, it was a very unique, it wasn't just Back uh, to ooey, pooey. Back to ooey, pooey. And he said, I don't want you just here with the college students. Uh, you know, on the parish side, I want you to be doing what you were doing uh, as a focused missionary. I want you to begin doing intentional discipleship and implementing that on, in parish life. I said, let's, so you you let's did for the parish what you had previously done for focus exactly exactly okay. and so it was navigating new ground trying to really you know what this looked like uh, you know working with students who have a lot of time on campus a lot of community is much different so I mean that it was a, a blessing I absolutely loved you know working working with families and working with men and trying to think about how we can do intentional discipleship in the parish and got a lot of cool things started but one of the cool things we did is as a focused missionary. Uh, I went on campus once a month and uh, just took guys who were in my Bible study who were 
um, in becoming intentional disciples of Christ. I said, define that term. Intentional disciples. Dissenten- intentional disciples yeah. and intentional discipleship. Define those terms. Please. Okay. Yeah, that's I, I, that's probably really important. It's just people who, uh, through an an act of the will saying, I, I want to follow Christ. And I, I, I realize Christ, I want Christ to be the one who leads my life. And so I think sometimes even focused missionaries saying, they're my disciples. It's like, no, they're not following you. You're, you're walking alongside them on a path that to where, and you, you teach them through the arts of prayer, as you mentioned, like discernment, like, where is it that Christ is leading me? And how can I uh, allow Christ to be able to be the, the leader of my life? And so you're, that's, that's essentially what an intentional disciple is, is just like the, literally the disciples that they dropped what they were doing and Christ said, come follow me. Uh, they're willing to not allow themselves to just decide what they want to do with their lives, but they're willing to drop, you know, whatever it is that Christ has, wherever, wherever they are and say, all right, Christ, what do you want? Am I on the right path? Do you want me to go anywhere else? So it's like, uh, that's, that's so what I would me, consider a disciple. You, okay. Because here's what I'm thinking. I, um... I want to be a disciple of Christ. Right. Okay. I mean, I want to be. I aspire to be. I hope to be. I feel like I do a lousy job sometimes, <laughs> you know? And uh, even though I've got a theological education, I mean, I've read a lot of books. That's what yeah. that means, right? I don't feel like I have the wisdom, virtue, or grace mm. to make someone a disciple. Mm. I mean, I, I certainly couldn't say, you know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I feel like more saying, watch me fail miserably at following <laughs> Christ, you know? Yes. And, and what I feel personally capable of doing, and this is what I do with my colleagues and my friends all the time, is I'll say, you know, look, I'm really having a hard time with whatever. I'm having a hard time with this. I'm having a hard time with that. I'm struggling in this area of my life or my family life. And, uh, and you know, and I... I read this Catholic book, or I read this passage of Scripture, or I was meditating on this prayer, and uh, and this spoke to me, and this didn't spoke to me, and I think that person's brilliant, and this guy over here doesn't seem to make any sense at all. And uh, and I'm just trying to relate the elements of my faith, my sacramental practice, my study of the faith, my study of Scripture. I'm just trying to relate it to my human problems and make it make sense. Let's talk about it. And I don't I don't claim to have the authoritative answer to every question. I'm just somebody who's who's struggling and trying in real time to live this thing called a Christian life in yes. relationship to Jesus. That yes. that's that's what I have to give somebody. Yes. And and which includes all of my confusion, all of my failure. Yes. That's what I have to deliver. Yeah. And uh, I remember Pope Benedict when he was Ratzinger, he wrote Intro to Christianity. And one line in this book has jumped out at me and I just can't let go of this line. He said, there is no escape from the dilemma of being a man. Like, life is just shot through with ambiguity, with difficulty, with uncertainty, with pain. Um, and no, no approach to Christian life that evades that is authentic, mm. right? And I'm like, oh, wow, I can be the most authentic Christian by doing this thing miserably, Yes, right? I, I can get down with that. Yeah. Uh, Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. I think that I, I get. I probably gave the students confidence, like, "Oh my gosh, you're like a leader. Like, I can definitely do that." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, it, it's not about uh, not failing. I think it's about uh, you know failing and walking together is really what it is. And just as you said, like, I uh, I don't 
I can't bestow on somebody. Uh, I can bestow on them. I, it's not that I'm without any direction. Uh, I, I think even with, with your theological degree, it's not like you're saying everything goes. It's like, I have an idea. Like I have an idea of what it looks like to be able to follow Christ, even in my humanity. No, I know. Like I, I can, yeah. I've got texts, right. doctrines, saints. I mean, I yes. have a reservoir yes. of wisdom and resources to draw on. Yes. But but knowing how to take that reservoir and apply it concretely to my mm-hmm. life is always a work in progress. Yeah. And I, and I will fail to do that well more often mm. than I succeed. Mm. But I feel like in the struggle of trying to relate the elements of the faith and the tradition, teaching of the magisterium, sacred scripture, lives of the saints, in making the effort to try to apply those things to my life, like, that is the path of discipleship. Yeah. And, and... And I can and I can try to live that that struggle, that difficulty, that pain, uh, alongside other people who are having the same struggles, mm. and you know, and 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 being honest and open about it and authentic about it um, is uh, you know is a basis for real spiritual friendship. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, and that's uh, that's what, essentially what we really did as missionaries. It's just like it wasn't. It, it was all about like how do we share life together? Like what. What does it really look like to be a person who's following Christ and to, to stumble along this path together? Like let's, but let's also encourage each other and and strengthen each other. And that's why it's actually really important that we not do this alone and that we do it in community because uh, we need each other to for for that support to help us to get back up when uh, I think the devil loves to isolate us. So we need to be able to we're stronger together as a church uh, when we walk together um, on this path, uh, this narrow path. Uh, as as Christ says, to be able to uh, to be with Him for eternity in heaven, and it's just continuing that relationship with Him, which is so easy to fall away from uh, when we're in isolation. You know, I'm gonna give you another Ratzinger quote. Uh, Ratzinger says, "The church is the shape that grace takes in the world," hmm. and I think that is such a beautiful statement, right? To remind us that you know, it's, you can get bogged down in the abstract doctrine of grace. But the concrete life of grace, we live in the church, yeah. in and with the sacraments and the body of Christ. If you want to be in gracious communion with God, put yourself together with the people of God and live mm-hmm. the Catholic faith with them. That's where yeah. grace is on offer. Yes. You know? and I mean, you talk about stumbling. I, I think I'm just... Uh, no longer being in that missionary life or even that seminary life. I'm now uh, a married man with a son. It's like uh, the Lord in my in my own years is like continuing to to teach me <laughs> very much what it looks like to uh, continue to live this life of discipleship with Him. There's no, uh, I think it's going to look different in terms of you know where the Lord has you in your life, but just uh, just knowing that He's He's always there and guiding me, and just knowing that I always need to be open, and knowing the church is always open when I need it for for confession when I know I do fall. I mean, I think uh, that's, I mean, that's the path of a disciple is, is just being ready and willing uh, to continue to that, be in relationship with Christ and return to him whenever we fall. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question to which we have just given the answer. Okay. All right. So we've already hit the answer, I think. Perfect. All right. But I'm going to bring the question now. And the question is, what's the difference between evangelism and proselytism? Because the church tells mm-hmm. us to evangelize and tells us not to proselytize. And as a kind of a setup for that question, I mentioned, you know, you said that guy from Ireland wrote you that. Yeah. Well, that, that actually comes from a manual. Oh, really? Of, yes, there's a, there's a Protestant manual on evangelism 
written by a guy named James Kennedy called Evangelism Explosion. Okay. And it, there, there are two questions that are kind of litmus test questions. And one of them that I haven't already said, I won't say it now because there's no need, is, is phrased in a way that it tests whether you hold the Protestant doctrine of sola fide, or salvation by faith alone. Mm-hmm. Like, and they're looking for that as an answer. Because in this particular manual, the goal of the exercise is to persuade people of an abstract uh, doctrine, right, of a, of, a, of a Protestant doctrine, make people think this thought, in, mm-hmm. in essence, right? Um, and you've, quote-unquote, succeeded if you get the intellectual conversion of the individual to think like you on this issue, mm-hmm. right? Would I be right in saying that, that would be a very, uh, like, innervated, desiccated view of evangelism if we reduced evangelism to simply... I'm going to give you a dogma and try to make you believe it. Right. Absolutely. Right. That would not be what the church means by evangelism, right? No. But I will say uh, it's interesting what that theology has brought about, even in my childhood growing up in the suburbs of Atlanta, lots of Baptist churches. I got I went to a three-on-three tournament every year, and I got to play basketball with my friends. Uh, never won the tournament, got to the finals once, in case those who were curious, it was uh, very unfortunate that I never won. But every lunch we had Chick-fil-A, and the pastor would come on and he would ask, you know, he would give, uh, a, he would preach and say, those who want to be saved, they go to the back. So I think this idea of sole fide, if I can just get someone to say these words in this, in this prayer uh, that I intellectually sent to God in this moment right now, that they're going to be saved for eternity. And, you know, obviously they get that from Paul. And it's like, that's, that, that's not our hope when we're doing shoot evangelization is that for someone for... Uh, we want to lead someone to say a prayer and to be able to give their lives over to Christ, but uh, we we understand that salvation is is not is not just an intellectual ascent. You know, it involves our very our, our entire life. So you can't uh, and if if what you're saying in those words is actually true and you really mean them, you're going to want to to find a place uh, to be able to continue to be able to live what you just professed, and that's what the church does, and that's what the church offers, and. That's, a, that's our call in discipleship, uh, is to, to not waver, uh, to allow those words that we profess. I remember uh, one of my friends said, like, we need to pray the prayer that we give ourselves to Jesus every day. <laughs> like, it's not just this one-time salvation thing. Uh, and I, I think I, I had also heard, I guess you could probably confirm this in your own reading, that Martin Luther was just obsessed with this fear that he was going to hell, that he needed to be saved. And it was almost out of this—it this, he, he, it was— um, it was this very misguided idea that, you know, he was going to be damned because he felt uh, so, you know, un- undeserving of being with God for for his own sins uh, that he wanted, to, he kind of created this doctrine and, and, and then wanted to be able to, you know, to use it to basically take down the church. So that, I mean, it's kind of unfortunate that someone was so obsessed when knowing that we have a God who is love, who desires to be with us, but he also gives us the freedom to choose it. So we just have to continue to say yes, not in just one moment say yes. What do you think are the, the biggest barriers to evangelism in the Catholic Church, and what are pitfalls to avoid when trying to do evangelism? <sighs> evangelization is such a big word, because I, I talk about it, and it's like, I think part of the work of evangelization is continuing to walk with our brothers and sisters, that so they understand that the life of faith is not just a moral life, it includes morals, but those morals are founded upon what we talked about, the kerygma. Like, I understand that I didn't create myself. I understand that I'm not God. So I understand that uh, I, I want to live in a life of trust, that there's a Father who loves me, and how do I do that practically in this life? There's a, there's a church and let's walk together in community, not just 
you know, with each other, but, you know, with these incredible sacraments that God has given the church to empower us to continue to have life in him uh, is, is really important. So, I mean, all of that is kind of the work of evangelization, this, in, this intentional, you know, you know, walking with, we talk about like that word discipleship, how do we uh, allow people to understand that, you know, they're not just meant to walk, but they can empower others to be with them uh, and to walk with others in this life of Christ uh, the, so that we, we can journey together towards heaven. I think that's part of the work of evangelization. I think there's a lot of apostles who are doing that. And then there's also the work of like direct evangelization, which is more in the wheelhouse of my own apostolate, St. Paul Street evangelization, where I, I would definitely not consider this to encompass all of it, but there is a part of evangelization that is just going out there and being willing to speak with others and if they hadn't heard it, to proclaim the good news of who Jesus Christ is. And going back to the beginning, I never really got back to this. You said, how would you be able to share the, the kerygma on the street? Uh, one of the things I, I like to say is that, um, especially when people think of Christianity, they think a lot of rules uh, are associated with it. Uh, but I tell them rules without relationship, you know, leads to rebellion. That's one of Curtis Martin's, you know, favorite thing to tell focused missionaries when they go out to evangelize on college campuses is so many people, when they think of Christianity, they think a list of rules. And I tell them when, if I'm meeting somebody in the street, that Christianity is so much more than that. You know, maybe that's what you heard, you know, but it's actually my, about a relationship with my Christ. My first confession ever. Yeah. All right. Before, I, right before I was confirmed, because I went to priest in our diocese and uh, all my life, Catholic priests and the confessional were kind of a big bogeyman, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, uh, it was kind of scary. I, yeah. I you know, I, I, from Protestant childhood, I had this kind of sinister view of the confessional, you know, and uh, and priests in their funny robes and their celibacy were odd, and but I always had a kind of sort of horrible fascination, right, with this 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 monstrosity it seemed to me of this foreign thing called Catholicism. And so when I finally had a priest like to talk to, I'd barely even spoken to a priest when I decided to become Catholic. You know, Monsignor wow. Muller was really the first one who really sat there and seriously engaged with me about becoming Catholic. This it was not Muller who heard my confession, however. I I, I, w- I made my confession and then I said, "Now, Father, forgive me for asking, but I've never really had an opportunity to talk in private like this about with, about, with a priest about Catholic life and priesthood and so forth." And look. As a Protestant kid growing up in the South, like one of the big elephants in the room is this whole celibacy thing. How do you do it? Mm. And I sort of imagined that he would come back with this list of ascetical practices. You know, well, I take a cold shower every day at five, and, you know, I <laughs> beat myself with rods at five in the <laughs> afternoon, you know, and I live on bread and water, you know. And, uh, and he didn't hesitate. He shut back and said, relationship with God. Mm. And the, the, how quickly he responded without even having to reflect on it, that like the key to his vocation, to his moral life, to his celibacy, to everything, relationship with God. And I thought, that's not what they told me about Catholics when I was growing up. Mm. You know, they told me Catholics were these guys that obsessed about rules Mm -hmm. and had all these practices and they thought they could climb to heaven on their own rosary beads, you know. And this priest just told me that the centerpiece of his whole Catholic life is relationship to God. I mean, I'd already decided to become Catholic at that point, but I thought, wow, that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. And it makes so much sense. I mean, and it's so easy for me now that I have a son. It's like, as a loving father, I'm not going to let my son do whatever he wants. I mean, that would actually be bad for him. It's so easy. I mean, even conceptualize that when I'm speaking to somebody on the street, it's like, you have to understand if a guy is a father who's a good father who loves us, is that it doesn't mean that we just get to do whatever we want, but he actually 
he shows us, you know, for out of love for us, you know, how we're how we're called to live. I mean, that's that's the foundation of where we get our moral life as Catholics is it's out of this relationship of trust who God is, who actually wants our good. So uh, th- that would actually be a way that I would share the kerygma on the street. It's like, you know, uh, uh, I would share that, you know, that Christianity is much more than uh, a list of rules and that rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And, you know, are, do they feel like they're in a relationship with God? And is that something that they would want? Is that something that they want for their lives? And then I even give them a chance to lead them in a prayer how to often, be able to go back to the relationship with God. How often in doing your street evangelization do you encounter a sort of oppositional, defiant response to your message. That's, I think the way that we do evangelization, which, as I mentioned, our entire method is to just open up the conversation, have questions, find common ground. It's, it's very rare that we have opposition. Hmm. Actually, I personally haven't faced it. Even in, in my four years of being the national director, I've heard of stories of people you know, coming up and may, maybe causing some commotion because of, you know, without even having a conversation, it's just because, you know, they have some, uh, a rift against the Catholic Church for something in their life, and we, we want to pray for those people. We understand that, there's, you know, maybe something tragic very did happen in their life, but that I think I, I, that's why I love our approach. We're not holding up signs that are building this animosity or emotion saying, you know, where you see other people saying, you're going to hell, or, you know, Catholics have the truth, convince me otherwise, you know, something like that. It's prayer station, you know, it's, yes. uh, it's, do you need prayer? You know, do you want this free rosary? Do you, do you go to church? So, so, so I given think approach, how you do it, yeah. given the St. Paul approach, do you think that you have to be a special kind of person to engage in this ministry? That's definitely my favorite part about ministry is I, I think this is something every Catholic could do and they could, they, they could, tr- and I want them to go and do it and then tell me they can't do it. That when I talk to people on the phone, they were like, I don't know, I can do this. I'm like, have you tried? No, and then whenever they do, and this is what I challenge people who are, are especially nervous about it, if there is a team that's already gotten started near them, I say just go out with them and just, you don't even have to uh, initially think that you're going to be an evangelizer, but just go pray or just go see what it's like and be near them. And eventually, after they see that it's not nearly as scary as they thought, they see these people engaging in, in conversations that are actually very engaging and they see how people are even being built up because of our street team's presence, they're like, I want to be a part of that. And there's, there's stories of people who are actually, who started as a spectator who ended up joining to, become, to be an active evangelist the same day because of how inspired they were by our approach and by seeing other people do it and how um, it's, not a, it's not something that we're trying to, we're not trying to be confrontational on the street. We actually really want to just be engaging and loving and our approach uh, makes that possible. So how many uh, trained teams connected to St. Paul Street do you know of that are active in the United States today? Right, yeah, so I just did, uh, I guess you could call a census of our teams, especially after the pandemic. <clears throat> Excuse me, just, you know, where, you, where, where are you guys at? You know, I wanted kind of, um, I, I spoke with everybody by phone and just trying to get a sense for where they are. And right now we have 200 teams who have committed to continue to go out. In how many dioceses? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know how the number of the dioceses. I know we're in um, almost every state and in nine international countries. Wow. Mm-hmm. Every state of the Union and nine countries. Almost. I don't know if we're in every state, but uh, nearly every we're state. nearly in every state. I know we're in Alaska, Hawaii. Cal- I mean, I can, I can visualize our map, and I would, I would have to see, but I know we're almost in every state. At least have a team. And a team is just an, at least a Catholic individual or a parish who says, I want to embrace this. So it doesn't, 
it doesn't take a lot. I mean, how big our country is to, to get at least one team in every state. I would love to see literally thousands and millions of teams, you know, be part of St. Paul Shoot Evangelization. I don't think that we could have enough Catholics who are, who are getting out there, especially with our method, uh, and it not be effective. I think that's the way we, we become effective as an apostolate, because uh, you can see how this can lead at least one or two people every time a team or individual goes out for a few hours. They'll have a conversation where a person becomes open to becoming Catholic or wants to join a Bible study, wants to come back to the Catholic Church. And you take that and you multiply that by how many, how many teens we are, uh, you can imagine the impact the church could have by this ministry. Now, if, uh, if a, an individual or a parish uh, in our diocese mm-hmm. wanted to uh, begin this ministry or maybe get in touch with you for help, what, would they, what could they expect and, uh, and how would they do that? Yeah, I work with everybody individually, ask them you know, where their situation is. Uh, you know, where are they? So obviously the cathedral downtown, or if there's a place, uh, a church that has a lot of foot traffic nearby, uh, we could talk about, does it make sense to be able to go out near there? And uh, and so maybe if there's a place in the suburbs who wants to get started, we could talk about uh, farmer's markets, public places, like or, or Walmarts or parks or things like that, where there oh, will wow. be so, foot traffic. So, so part of your job is, uh, is sort of like... Uh, market analysis, as it were. So, yeah, when somebody says, I want to start a team, uh, that when they come to me, I ask them, uh, you know, where they're at, one in their own faith life, and, you know, how did they get led to St. Paul's, you know, make sure that they feel like they're doing it for the reasons that we want them to do, which is for the salvation. It's not that they're trying to promote their own business or something like that, or a different denomination, which you're surprised when you're a national apostolate, that inquiries that you might get. So I kind of just, people who want our materials and to represent us, or I I, I personally call them just to see where they're at, and I help them get started. Uh, And so if it's individual, I say, hey, you know, find a partner and, you know, like, let's, let's discern and pray about some good areas for you to go to. Um, and it, it's, it's just that simple. And then, especially with me being here, uh, it's very easy for me to be able to go out with them and to walk with them. Like I'm not able to do with many of our teams, but here in Birmingham, it's very unique. So I'm so excited if, to be here. if someone in the city of Birmingham or the Diocese of Birmingham wanted mm-hmm. to contact you, how would they do it? Uh, they could, my email, uh, I don't know if it could be attached to this podcast. It's just my first name, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, yeah. at S-T paulse.com. Okay. All right. And, yeah. And would they be able, if they forget that, could they go to the street evangelization.com street evangelization.com. And, and if they navigate around, they, they can, if they can go you. to get involved. If they fill out our general, uh, get involved form, that'll go to me. My, my information's right on there as well. If they go to contact. So that's another way as well. Fantastic. Yep. Well, Brian Lee, you've certainly given us an awful lot to think about and to, and to motivate, uh, in this year of the parish in the Eucharist. And, and we, can't thank you enough for being in the diocese yeah. and doing what you do. Thank you so much for being with yeah, us today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and to build my life here. We get to walk, we get the journey together. That's wonderful. <laughs> yes, I'm excited. So thanks again for listening to Living Catholic. Uh, if you like the show, be sure to recommend us to friends and family and give us a thumbs up or a like or whatever it is the social media people do to acknowledge, <laughs> you know, and to, and to tr- try to promote it. And be sure to listen again next week, uh, Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central. So thanks, Brian. Thank you. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, producer Alex Kubik, for helping put this together.